to chat with you, Shane, um, mainly just about an, an idea that I had around simulation. And I've not come across this kind of idea before. And I'm wondering either that's because it's a really bad idea or it's a really good idea that no one else has has come across yet. Um, so I, I just wanted to just get your thoughts on, on I guess, the practical um, implications of trying to do something like this. So I, I guess the way that um, most people or the way that I've come across simulation in the past has been that people tend to do it in kind of small, um, isolated pockets. Um, and it, it's it's a little bit difficult to try and have like a coherent narrative that runs across, if not a whole program, then a, a whole school. Um, so I, I kind of think of this as like a, almost like a soap opera playing out over a three year period where you have a range of characters that your students are going to interact with over that three year period. And there's kind of a, an arc, an, a narrative arc that runs over the three-year period, where characters in the in the simulation <clears throat> they they build, they develop, they grow, things happen. You can play with time a little bit differently. So, you know, in the transition between first and second year, you you could actually say that five years have passed. So characters that you were introduced to in the first year, they continue into the second year, but but time works differently. Um, you can also think that there might be, or you can imagine the opportunities for interprofessional education when you have these storylines that, that play out over time. Um, and then, you know, linked to that, uh, you could also have characters existing in different formats. So you could have your sim man mannequin, you know, Joe Smith, and, you know, Joe Smith got hit by a bus yesterday, and so the paramedics are working on the mannequin by the roadside today. Um, in three weeks' time, you might have the physios working with the same character, with the same narrative, the same storyline, but they're interacting with Joe in a VR scenario. Um, and then, you know, you could have the pharmacist interacting with Joe in an online case study. But over all of this time, the variables of the character, obviously they change, but the character has a family. Those family members get pulled in in different ways. You interact with family members in different ways. Uh, you could have members of your community. Uh, we, we have a, um, a group called the, the Together Group. They're a, a group of community members, volunteers, who come in to the university and they, they do lectures. They kind of talk about their lived experience of service users. So you, you could imagine that the, the virtual family member, the parent of the VR character comes in and, you know, they carry on the storyline. So anyway, that that's the setup. And, you know, obviously there's going to be an enormous number of um, logistical issues. This would be very difficult to actually come up with the, um, a, a complex narrative that you'd need. But if you could get around some of those practical issues, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around you know, the immersive nature of these, you know, what I think of as like a grand narrative. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if it's worth starting off down this road or has it been tried before? Have you come across anything like this? Um, so that's the setup. Um, I'm just going to let it go there and and see see what you think. Just love that idea. Michael, for so many reasons. And 
I've never seen anything like it. I've never really heard anything like that in practice before. I've never even really heard anyone talk about a simulation program, potentially even an educational program that is of such scope. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, and my awareness is certainly limited, um, but um, the fact that I guess that's something to note too. I'm interested that, well, if it does exist, I'm interested that I haven't come across it because it sounds fascinating. And if you haven't come across it either, and Ben, why haven't we come across it? Um, the thoughts that are swimming around relate to just this could, this almost sounds like the most patient centered simulation education program you could almost dream up in terms of the co design that could be. Uh, drawn from to help design something that is so person-centered and story-centered or focused as the almost the priority and the learning objectives or the specific timing of the session all the kind of you know curriculum stuff the logistics maybe that drive a lot of curriculum design uh, almost secondary to the the stories and the characters and the real life stuff that we're all immersed in as clinicians is actually front and foremost from an educational point of view is, is something that, that just sort of gets me really excited thinking about it. I, I did um, talk with some colleagues before uh, we caught up today to see if anyone had heard anything about it and nothing, <laughs> not in terms of specifics. Um, and again, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I guess the, the, the longest... Um, time of programs of simulation that I, I think I've been involved in is something over five weeks where that's the length of time that a simulation placement might take and you might have the same patient come in a few times and progress in an expected time manner or regress or whatever it might be um, and I've also you know seen and been involved with different um, scenarios where Again, the character has been the focus and this person might have a health issue that's really acute, but then they might be seen a couple of months later in a different setting or with an exacerbation a couple of months later. So that that's something that I think the timed thing has been done a lot in, in simulation, so it should. <laughs> and, and something that inspired that for a lot of people, I think was actually hearing from the, this is working with simulated patients, working with simulated participants, hearing their perspectives and just there um and we did some some work with with sps where what came across so strongly was that when we're learning to portray a patient role who's not ourselves what we do is we focus on the character first who this person is then we try and understand what the health issue is and we carry that character through the the, the training and the interactions and the feedback and then if this person comes back well then we relearn the health issue and that what was sort of discussed with these SPs was that often when they're trained, it's the reverse. The, the health professionals and the educators that are training them are like, all right, this is um, this is your, your medication list. This is what your medical history is. Like it's just so health issue medical focused that it was really hard for them to portray and learn as lay people, which just makes so much sense to me um, and I think probably makes sense. So I think there's this really interesting character focus and then health issues are then secondary or associated that um, are associated with this idea. There's some initial thoughts. I don't want to keep talking, but um, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. Ben, did you have any thoughts? 
yeah i was i was gonna gonna come in and and um and say so without wishing to piss on your your chips um i i i think the idea has 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 been had right um now what i'm not sure about is kind of exactly how far down the road that you describe it's people have managed to 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 get to um so i know certainly uh at the university of um of Birmingham where I work um that this idea exists of a sort of uh an interprofessional education sort of um virtual community right where there is there's there's there, we've, we've sort of got the name of a little sort of um suburb of the city and there's kind of like various characters who are in there um and they have and and it like a bit like you described it's that sort of soap opera where like before you know it like with a very small cast you, you can like shoehorn every sort of social <laughs> dilemma health condition whatever in, into it because you know there's 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 the grandparent who's got this issue and the parent there and they've got a child and you know etc so um and and i know uh, for a fact that they've definitely done some simulation activities that then draw on the characters within there now what what i don't think is that that is in any way embedded across a program in the way that you describe it certainly certainly isn't and, and as as physios in the university we're sort of sat outside the the medical school where where this idea sort of originated in um and so it's it's we've talked about it in terms of like oh like maybe we could tap into this more and maybe we could make more of this i think on some of the programs maybe in nursing maybe in medicine they have they pick up strands of this and so the, you know th- there are elements which do bridge across years or bridge across different modules you know and pull together different ideas and there's some sort of some sort of cohesive narrative around a community you know where you're sort of just coming back so it's even just in the simplest things of just having consistency of when you're making up like the gp practice name and like the primary school name it's all like this imaginary town right that it's kind of kind of based in and so you know you you, you've got these characters who sort they might be a peripheral character in one scenario in in one aspect of the course because they just happen to be that person's parent but then they come back round and 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 in in the following year you're actually managing them with this and you know maybe the fact that they've got the child with a disability that you saw in the paediatric module now is like a, a consideration it's like a contextual factor you know but it's not the main thing that you're now dealing with from the health so you know and and i you know so i'm i'm all on board with it like i think it's a really it's a really nice way of doing it i also know i was just tapping in while you you two were talking so i know at manchester metropolitan university again in the uk they've got a certainly got a similar virtual community there's it's called um burley place i think you 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 can look it up on their their, their website but where so again there's definitely this sense of here's a town and we can map it out and who lives in number 38 of whatever street you know and 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 there's some characters and they have some things and i think i might be wrong but i think that that is more like again this is how much we 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 might stretch the definitions of what simulation is so i think this is more sort of a a virtual case study that you will work through and it's quite it's kind of online based right so i don't know how much then that bridges over into like a a a sort of simulated patient actor type simulation or or using um using the mannequins or or whatever it it may or may not do i I don't know I, i know certainly the birmingham one has elements of it which do make use of then the 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 sort of like role player um actors in into into simulations linked to it so so i think the idea is a really good one i think that the having been in an institution that has that has had an idea similar to that um 
and seeing that we've we've not really embedded <laughs> um i think maybe that hints then at some of the challenges of this right you know particularly if you are in an institution which is particularly you're trying to do it interprofessionally and so you've you're you're going to have pockets where someone goes with it and like develops up something that goes it but if you want it to be this cohesive grand narrative that really pulls everything together that needs some real program level oversight do you know what I mean and really to be embedded like in a program redesign right from the start I think it's probably quite hard to keep it piecemeal and then to get all the bits to align um but but there's but maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe it's OK to start with something that, you know, exists as a sort of conceptual idea. And then every time some someone has a space for some simulation or for some whatever, you, you just like, you know, that is, is is there already a character that kind of fits with that that we could use? Or are we introducing a new character like in a soap? You know, the, there's like like the new um, family that, that sort of moves in, you know, and someone else has, has to die and move, move, move out or whatever. And you, you kind of do that. So. Yeah, those those were my sort of initial initial thoughts on it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think the um, I, I agree with with everything that you've said. Um, my I actually went to Manchester Metropolitan for a day um, just to spend some time with them to talk about the the Burley Place simulation that they have running. Um, and and I agree with your take on it. I think it is an online series of case studies um, that people dip into and out of. I think it is. I think they run it as a placement. Um, but the, I don't think that they've pulled in the, um, uh, the, I guess, the scope of possibilities that is what I think, you know, possible. Um, so, for example, if you go to a place um, in Burley Place, there's no reason that you wouldn't be able to put on a VR headset and then navigate that place in 3D or um, be a fly on the wall and observe like a domestic abuse situation. Um, you know, using VR for something that I think it is good rather than, you know, just watching a lecture or something. Um, so I, I think that there are people who are starting to talk about what this might look like, but it's on quite a small scale um, within a program or um, uh, running for very short periods of time. Um, the IPE stuff that people do tends to be quite ad hoc um, rather than um, something that is designed from the start. Uh, the way that I imagined just from an administrative point of view, to design the grand narrative. So, you know, take what exists in all the different programs, all the little ad hoc, isolated, discrete pockets of simulation, and say, okay, these are the things that currently exist, and then start tying pieces of those ad hoc pieces of simulation together as part of this narrative. And over time, as programs come up for revalidation and review, to then look for opportunities to pull them into that narrative. The other way that I think it would need to happen is that you'd need to replace your clinical skills with simulation. So you wouldn't have a practical component and a simulation component. All practical skills happen in simulation. And then I know that there are some programs in the UK that have done this already. Um, so they don't have theory, practical simulation placement. Um, they have theory, placement, and simulation. And within simulation, they embed all clinical skills um, uh, scenarios. Um, and, and, and I think then you have a little bit more of an incentive to for programs to come in um, because it, the, the simulation part isn't extra. All of those programs that have practical components, you've made a decision at the school level that from now on, practical is part of simulation. 
Um, and so, I mean, then we then we start having a conversation about what what is simulation. You know, we've we've talked about this the last time. Where's that line between you know simulation and what is just practice um, or, or practical? Um, so I, I agree. I think there's an enormous number of logistical issues that um, I think would or could potentially be problematic. Um, but I always think of administration as just a question of will. Um, so if you want to do it and administration is the issue, well, administration are just, they're just made up rules. You know, we decide what those rules are um, when it comes to administration. Um, I think it becomes a little bit more challenging when you have regulatory bodies that have oversight and can, you know, make decisions about whether or not your program is fit for purpose. Um, so, you know, those are kind of hard lines that you can't cross. Um, but if it's just administration, if it's just logistics, timetables, those are all just made up things that we can, over time, if we decide that we're going to do this, you can um, bend those things to what it is that you want to achieve. Um, so that, that, those are some of my thoughts around some of the, the challenges that you might have. I wonder whether some of your experience as well, mine's been that sometimes these amazing pieces of curriculum or programs, as much as they're intended to be not directly dependent on a person or an academic so often they can be and that person leaves and then it all sort of falls over is a crude way of saying it um but i think we've experienced it and and i think that as, as so similar to ben you know experience lots of health services that have got living scenarios and yeah case studies that are set up that are just so valuable in so many ways but having something that if the leadership and the program management is established and there's 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 clearly an opportunity for that now with the, the shifting technology and the 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 questions that everyone's asking about what's assessed in what way and what's taught in what way and everything like that that now is clearly an opportunity to be having this kind of discussion and get on the, the front foot with the ideas but i think too there's the value of a the value of working through all those challenges or what, like what's the value of working through all those challenges having this this virtual or simulated sort of um, city and program that could be drawn from. I, I think the, the uniqueness is that it's working across almost modalities. I haven't heard a lot of that. We've talked about how you've got scenarios that are sort of working in one approach to simulation, but having scenarios or systems that can plug and play different approaches, not just learning objectives, not just participants, not just disciplines, but also ways that it's taught or things that are used help with the with the I guess the simulation or the the experience is is pretty unique and I think too there's that there's that individualization right like that's where I think a big part of the value would be for me and where education may may be heading is that even though student numbers are, are huge as intelligence grows and as student learning needs become better understood and as can curriculum become more individualized more easily um, for, for students and might this be a way to help facilitate some new level of individualization to me and what I need to achieve to hit those capabilities that are going to be assessed at the end of my course compared to Ben and, what, and, and Michael and what you're going to need to like where your gaps are essentially but having a um, a predetermined you know smorgasbord of choices a buffet of curriculum to choose from that I need might that might need a lot of development first to then realise some of that efficiency in in education um, and getting to those points. So I guess that's why I see potential value with a huge program that goes beyond people <laughs> that run it um, and to sustain it 
um, that then can be used in that way. And, and I think even on the ground at the moment, there's still such a huge need for, for example, simulation scenarios, patient scenarios. So, for example, the, the California and Simulation Alliance, the Victorian Simulation Alliance, the US and the state of Victoria, there's already databases that exist where people go in and buy scenarios is one example. And there's still, I guess, departments and people going, we haven't got time to develop. So can we just pay someone to give us a scenario that we can use in these different ways? So I think there's this obviously hunger and desire for, for, for more of the material um, that could be used in that way but also this sort of other opportunity that's a bit timely, I think, um, that that could could be there. But how much you know, does it become too distracting as well? But we spend a lot of time playing around and, and we end up with stuff. We've talked in the past about what's really needed to generate that engaging sense of realism to make it meaningful to me. Um, how much is too much uh, and and not, not relevant? Um, we, I don't think we know the answer to that question yet, but... It's something to consider alongside the kind of faculty development side of education and simulation that we've worked in in the past. So I was just going to co- and just come in on on and and ask about do, do you think that if you've got this kind of approach that that is taking you know t- taking people through them and it's you, you're applying just a a a more realistic or more of a simulation focus approach to to general clinical skills teaching right that that kind of you start to hang more and more things onto this um community you know so things you would have just taught in like a, a practical way it's like this is this is the skill here's how you do it everyone practice it tick the box we've done we move on but we 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 bring more things into simulation like that does this does what this end up being in some ways like a, just a really prolonged simulation placement? So rather than a, a five week, you know, intensive simulation placement, we're now sort of taking, you know, a lot of those elements and sort of running through uh, uh, all these number of, of, of interactions that are going to happen a, across a, across a course. And that almost we could think about it in the in that way we could we like at the start of the program you're sort of doing your placement induction so you 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 know there is some consistency in like how we record outcomes of sessions that happened in a simulation way and and that's more about kind of developing your note writing skills as well you know i think often uh, and you know this probably is not the case on the simulated placement but but in those sort of ad hoc simulation activities we focus on the simulation we focus on like the the skill that needs to get out of it or whatever we debrief it we talk about what's happened but we don't necessarily treat it like a a kind of a a clinical encounter we don't you know write notes on it and then have have those bits after it and I I wonder whether kind of taking that that placement approach and, and stretching that actually is quite a nice way of of preparing the students for placement as as well. So then it, it then dovetails quite nicely. If you then have a, a more intensive simulation placement, it already makes sense. You're already prepped for it because you know what this virtual community is like. You've you've interacted with some of the, the aspects of it. Um and, and just another thought to throw out there while I'm on a roll is that in terms of what students gain from it, the more in the more engaged these things are with each other, does that get students thinking more about the systems stuff? So one of the things that certainly come back uh, to us and we've been talking about in this sort of new program is that a, a weakness, often a perceived weakness in, in students going out on placement is that they're just, they've not, they can't, they don't have any awareness of like, the, the the discharge planning process or do you know what I mean how the pathway fits together for the patient so they've got the clinical skills they can they can do an assessment and management in the setting that they're in but then it's it's quite a hard thing to think about like what comes next and to really understand that something like this that's much more person-centered 
as you were saying, Shane, kind of it's we start with the character. You know, if we've got some understanding of the, these characters that we're, we're then more able to think about kind of. But what's that going to be like if they're going home at this point? And, you know, should they go into hospital? Is that the right choice for them at this point in time or not? Um, but we've kind of got some understanding of them. We've got these sort of soap characters in our in our heads that we've we've met before. Um, and it opens up some of those conversations in a way that, again, maybe those sort of ad hoc things don't. I think you, you've both touched on quite a few things that I want to um, circle back to. Um, Shane, you, you mentioned, you know, the this can sometimes be driven by a personality. And when that personality leaves, then, you know, there, there is no driving force behind this. Um, one of the things that we've um, decided in our school is that we're going to appoint an uh, associate professor for simulation. And that's someone who would sit at the school level, who would be responsible for managing a program across the school. And so you've got buy-in from your senior leadership within the school that um, we, we haven't made the decision to run this kind of grand narrative, to be to be clear. But you would need someone at that level who, if the school buys into it, then that's the person responsible for coordinating and implementing this at that kind of scale. And so even if individuals leave, that process becomes embedded into the role and responsibilities of a post, not a person. So the next person who moves into that post, that just is part of their job. It doesn't rely on, on you know, the individual to, to drive that kind of thing. Um, the other thing that um, you, you talked about was having this kind of a library of scenarios available. Um, one of the things that uh, I'd like to start exploring with our School of Creative Arts um, they're helping us build some of the VR scenarios. So we customize, we're custom building VR scenarios for things that we think our students might um, uh, benefit from. Um, there are companies that make, like film, filming, film companies that make those kinds of scenarios. Um, could we start building those kinds of scenarios in VR that focus on specific things like ethics, empathy, communication, leadership, those kinds of things? They're, the ones that are being built tend to focus on clinical skills, clinical reasoning. We think that there might be a market for these kinds of things. You release it with an open source license. And so now all of a sudden, you know, there are people who can start getting access to, to some of those scenarios without having to build it themselves. Um, so I think that's something that is also potentially useful. Um, as you build out this kind of a program, you're going to start recognizing the need for bespoke scenarios. So rather than going to um, you know, a company in America that, that makes this stuff, we might start developing that expertise in-house. Um, and, and I think there's also some exciting possibilities there. And then Ben, you, you were talking about you know, what happens when you scale this out. I think one of the reasons why I started thinking about simulation in this way is because I keep coming back to this idea of thinking, how do we make the university look and feel more like placement? So we've got this very sharp distinction between placement and university. In a university, you come in, you sit in rows of desks and you listen to someone talking at you for three hours. Um, placement looks nothing like that. So I keep wondering, what if you enter into a three-year placement that happens to take place in a university? but Actually, a lot of the things that you do, a lot of the things that you think, the way that you behave, a lot of that is actually dictated by the simulation program that's running in the background. And I think if you think of it as like a framework and not necessarily um, a kind of a hard and fast thing like a timetable, if we had this framework that's that says, in principle, this is how we want to think about 
what we do at a university, how might your lectures start changing? If you're always looking to your grand narrative and saying, how do we make the classroom look and feel more like placement? Um, and so I, I'm you know, pl playing around with some of these ideas. And if you imagine not just a five-week placement, but a three-year placement where you enter and you do orientation and induction on your first day, but it's induction to a way of being on placement, not induction to like, here's the student union center and, you know, Here's your lecture rooms. And so that was just some of some of the ideas that I had that I wanted to mention while I was listening to you both. So in I'm so glad you said so many other things, both of you actually. So in, in before tonight, I was thinking about um, you know, learning or borrowing from longitudinal clinics that already exist. You know, where would you start? And then through listening to you both, I'm now even thinking, hang on, there's all this precedence with placement and positions and frameworks that associated with professors of work integrated learning or industry engagement kind of placement whatever there's there's all these precedents there and even that 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 might look like on the ground that students are allocated you know a clinical school or um some sort of health network that they engage with for the duration of their course and, th and that happens in australia in physiotherapy in, in medicine in, in lots of different disciplines not everywhere but there's this you know you're with a health um health network for example and you might have different placements at different sites within that network, but you get oriented to the processes and the, the systems and, and there's value in that. Um, but I think what's interesting too is that's not necessarily representative of where it, everyone works. So in terms of work readiness, you know, 10 to 20% of graduates might actually work in a health service that looks like that. So why is that? It, it's not the gold standard, I think is what I'm trying to say. So what it, just because it's historically just been, as you say, university and the clinical school or placement, it, it just seems to make actually a lot of sense to have at the same time as having university in the clinical school, you've got a, a virtual school or a simulation school or a, another system to engage in that, again, not necessarily have to fill the gaps um, in a reactive way, but but actually tap into some of the organisational, you know, work readiness, you know, work culture, other capabilities relating to being an educator or in fact all these softer skills that as you say uh, are actually longitudinal as well but have actually a lot of value and, and there's I know there's some experimenting with placement models um yeah like I think a few universities um physio programs here in Australia are experimenting with you know for example private practices so instead of doing five-week blocks do one day a week um for two years and you get to know the people that work there, you get to know the systems, and there's value in that sort of longevity over time rather than block. And so might that be similar um, with this one day a week that you spend in the, the virtual space, um, gradually scaling up what you do or applying the ethical, professional, whatever it might be, um, you know, issues of the day or whatever the learning and you know needs are. That's where simulation came from in the start. It, it, wasn't, just, it wasn't just technology. It, it was ethical imperatives not to cause harm. It was um, patient safety. There, there were reasons to work in this space that weren't just because the tech was appearing. And I think we need to be just so careful of not um, missing that again as as tech seems to feel like it's going through a whole other wave that actually just because the tech's there isn't necessarily the reason to do it. So I think, yeah, just that precedence and this relating to a longitudinal clinical experience is is there. What Why could that not be there for something that's 
a different clinical experience. I think the the point that you make about the not being driven by the technologies is really important, and and for me that's why the range of modalities I think matters. Um, it's not about saying, well, we're going to build this scenario in VR because we have VR headsets and and you know all this technology or the mannequins. Um, you know, a lot of people think that unless you have mannequins present, then it's not simulation. Um, so if we can have a wide range of modalities where you can have, it's almost like a menu that you can choose from, um, looking at the problem that you want to address, can you address it in placement? Um, if not, so for example, one of the big issues we have is that a lot of our midwives are going out and there's certain kinds of birthing scenarios that they just don't see because the NHS doesn't really, they, they privilege other forms of, of, of birthing rather than the, the one that we want our nurses to have training in. So if, if you have to, um, do a certain number of, uh, I don't know what they call it, natural births, but the, the NHS is prioritizing um, a cesarean section. You know, you just really struggle to get access to the kinds of birthing scenarios that you need to tick off in order to meet your um, your regulatory body. So if that's, a, if that's a problem that you have, can we address some of those issues with um, on placement? If not on placement, can we do it in simulation? If not in simulation, what are the other um, options that we have? So almost starting with you know, placement as being the, I guess, the ideal scenario, although I'm really hesitant to to, to position placement as the, the best, um, because we all know that in, in many cases, placement actually hinders learning and students are worse off after going to the placement rather than um, before. Um, but, but if we were going to say, you know, we, we want our students to learn on placement, um, but if not that, then... Um, than in simulation. It, it kind of may help us get away from the idea of being technology driven and rather being um, you know, driven by the pedagogical problems that you're experiencing um, in your program. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder too, I wonder too, Michael, what, where the value, whether the value is, is really there. You know, it would be a huge change, a huge, a huge change and and i wonder whether what the value would be uh, they'd have to be pretty large problems to to solve i think for, for us all to get on board and i suspect there's a certain um scope of pre-registration degrees that you know we we hit and that's our responsibilities to get students to a certain level uh, that they work ready and safe and sufficiently competent to do a decent job of most things but but also we can be tempted to do more than that. Um, and so what would the value be? Does it relate to the speed with which people get competent? Does it relate to the resources it takes to get them competent? Does it relate to the, as you say, that reducing the negative experiences and trying to support a more positive experience that then impacts attrition or um, you know career satisfaction and growth or whatever it might be? Because I, I, I think that's a really important point you make that, there's still a lot of horrific experiences that happen for students and and supervisors on placements. They, I wouldn't necessarily say they should be called the gold standard, but um, there's a lots of value in them too. So I'm, I am also thinking, what would the value be of such a significant change? Especially given the costs. So, you know, the, this is going to be significantly expensive in terms of people time. You may have to hire new, you know, create new posts, fund those posts. Um, and if at the end of the day, you know, 
there's either got to be a cost saving in terms of people's time or cost saving in terms of um, you know what it actually costs to to put students on placements. Um, if the benefit is only that there's a marginal improvement in how quickly students gain these competencies, is that worth what it's going to cost you in terms of what you've got to put into it? So I, I think that's something that would have to be looked at as well. And that's definitely a challenge, right? Because there's no way that this isn't more expensive and there's no way that you couldn't just continue with the status quo that is about information delivery in the main and plus, plus, plus practicals, but practicals that, you know, are, are able to be run relatively simply by one person with, you know, a group of 20 to 30 students learning a, a thing and and kind of practicing that that thing and, and then moving on. And, and so it, it, and it's also going to be a big amount of behavior change because even if you have even if you develop a new a new role right and you have someone who's the champion and that person can go around and, and talk about this but that person is is not working on probably any of the modules in which any of this stuff might actually happen and so it, the reality is that you need buy-in from the people on the module so it, like it, strategically you can you can get the concept there probably relatively easily i would have thought but operationalizing that throughout a curriculum i think is much much more difficult and gets increasingly difficult as the size of the cohort goes up and as the size of the staff team and the range of people involved in delivering goes up because you then need everyone so then it's a behavior change process as well for staff for academics you know um and like that's that's a hard sell that's a really hard sell because a people might not be convinced of the value and the the effectiveness of what you're talking about and we're never you're never going to show this as effectiveness There's, you're not going to you're not going to have an rct that goes this is this is better you know the students are significantly better you, you, you know that that obviously you can kind of go oh this is about the same as a placement or whatever you know broadly speaking as we look at these things but it's going to be very very difficult to make that uh, that argument and i don't see it a way that it doesn't come with a a relatively significant startup cost at least you know even if even if because to begin with you end up doing this in addition to um and like we've talked about on podcasts way back in in the past there's always a problem with curriculum bloat isn't there and what and what there, there's another risk here that we end up layering this on top of all the stuff that already exists because no one wants to drop like the session on whatever and the the lecture on that because these ticker box and we're all very comfortable that that's in the curriculum because we've got a session on the timetable that that says that we've we've, we've done it um uh, and and so then you, then the challenge is you know if it's as perceived as extra and additional like how how are you getting people to to, to do that so you, it's quite hard i think to then really go back and and take stuff out of the teaching process to replace with this is a much much deeper level of engagement that you kind of need ac across the board uh, yeah uh, i don't know i'm just i feel like i'm just coming up with with, with problems but, but but i think all of those are really real problems with this kind of uh, approach and and that's maybe one of the reasons why like there's not an, an obvious example that we could point to to go like this one like this one over here <laughs> yeah i i agree um i think there's a lot of overlap with what you describe and um just our, our regular curriculum just the normal way that we think about teaching, um, you know, sticking 30 to 60 students into a classroom and talking at them for three hours. Like we know that that isn't optimal. We know that that isn't the best way to teach and to learn, develop competencies and, and all these things we say we care about. Um, so even in situations where we know that what we're doing is suboptimal, there still isn't the will and the, the, the drive to change to something that is more expensive. We know that 
like there are better ways to develop competence in people um, like a, a, a expert apprentice model, one-to-one -one teaching. We know that that works really well. That's really expensive. And so that's the reason why we don't do that. So we scale and we do things in different ways that we know are, are in some cases um, really bad for learning. So this is a similar kind of argument where even if you can demonstrate that what we want to do with simulation is better and we can define better in, in lots of different ways, but even if it is better, um, does it scale? And, and so that, you know, if, if it doesn't scale easily and cheaply, then uh, I don't think that people are going to um, buy into it. Um, so if, like, I, I think there's a lot of similarity between what those challenges that you raised, Ben, and our regular curriculum. And we've seen that there isn't any will, there's not much will to change the way that we teach this stuff. Um, so it, it seems to follow that there probably wouldn't be a lot of will to change the way that we do, do simulation. Something we haven't touched on yet today is, I guess, the accessibility argument that I think we've talked about before with online learning and remote physiotherapy degrees and that sort of thing. But I think a huge, you know, the three of us are quite privileged in the education we have access to and we are afforded the opportunity to, to be involved in as educators as well. And I just, uh, we all know that there are so many um, learning needs globally when it comes to rehabilitation and upskilling clinicians in various countries um, in what, best practice or better practice in rehabilitation is that just isn't happening and and other countries that um that have different competency levels and capabilities of what physiotherapists would do and so much um uh, such a desire to want to be better but not having the ability to access education to support further development in skills in countries that aren't the uk south africa and australia for example so i, I think there could be just such value in a robust educational program that is accessible virtually for people around the world and that could potentially be the pilot um is is going for the extreme of where there would be less barriers to change potentially because there's just nothing there to begin with or nothing there of value and, and a learning need to see what the development of a again robust um system program of simulation or virtual learning would look like to then explore that and then there may be uptake or needs that are identified in other in other settings so I'd, yeah interested to your thoughts on the accessibility perspective too i mean i've for, for years i've thought that the only way to do this is to start a private physiotherapy school where you can you know do do whatever you want um so you you build a curriculum that you know is supported by learning theory and you know, all, all the robust ways that you might want to say, well, we know how people learn best. So let's start from that position um, rather than starting from the position of information scarcity, which is where universities, you know, that that's why we get all these people together into one place is because information was scarce. Um, so now that we have information abundance, we carry on with the model of information scarcity by getting all of these students to come sit in the classroom where we talk, we give them access to specialized information. Um, that's the model that we use. We don't need to use that model anymore. But you know, try getting a university to change its entire, you know, infrastructure and way of, you know, reason for existing. Um, I don't know how easy that's going to be. So, you know, I think private physiotherapy school start from scratch. What might that look like? Um, but that's an enormous investment 
um, for something that is uh, untried. <laughs> also, wanted, I was also wondering, what if the benefits of this are only evident in like five years' time? Um, so you you know you you're helping students develop a way of thinking about um, evidence about practice, and what if the accumulation of that only becomes evident you know after they've they've graduated? That becomes a really difficult thing to um, uh, to measure. Or what if their initial experience is is worse, or, or it's perceived to be worse because it's more difficult? So at the moment, it's really easy for me to show up for three years and just listen to what you tell me. And then I write your exams and I pass and I'm pretty satisfied with what I'm getting. Um, if now you're asking me to think and that's really hard and my progress is dependent on my ability to think and to come up with, you know, really creative, innovative solutions to some of these, you know, health problems that are maybe broader than just the individual. Um, maybe I'm less satisfied with your program. And so, you know, the feedback that you get from students and from their parents and from funders you know, if if the initial feedback is that, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. Um, I signed up for a degree and I want you to just give me the degree. This is a transactional um, relationship that we have. If your initial feedback from your stakeholders is that this is a worse experience, then, you know, that's also dead in the water. <laughs> anyway, I, on that positive note, I, I see that we're coming up to the end of our time. I don't know if you either of you had any last thoughts on on anything that we've talked about, just to wrap things up. You mentioning private physiotherapy schools again has was the wrong time of the conversation to bring that up, Michael. I think at the end of the conversation, <laughs> but but I think it's it's made me think about again. That, there's so much learning happening now that wasn't happening five years ago, YouTube and social media and other systems that, that is just happening. And it's, I don't want to say unregulated, but it's certainly not got the oversight that university education has. And again, it's, I guess it's questions for regulatory bodies. It's questions for accrediting bodies. It's a question for those of us in the profession, really, that some initiative to get on the front foot with privatised education is is not unwise given what's already accessible and what is already happening um that might not necessarily be rigorous and but is being trusted um by some of us out there um trying to learn so i, I think it's again there's opportunity here I, i'd be i'd be disappointed if there wasn't some attempt from us others whoever to pilot something longitude longitudinally virtually with with the ideas and with the opportunities um but as you say knowing where the when that opportunity is is really there with positions and leaders and funding rounds when those things align that that's that's not missed to really um yeah not try and catch some harms that might be happening beforehand um, the thoughts I was left with. Before you come in, Ben, I just wanted to say there was a time when PBL wasn't widely accepted and was pretty, you know, out there. Um, and and now, you know, a lot of people would say that PBL is probably the the best um, approach that we have for developing certain kinds of competencies. So there's always a, a first mover that um, uh, everyone else is going to look at and say, well, that seems a little bit out there. Um, so. 
and maybe the problem that relates to a person driving something and the risk that poses, well, there's just obviously so much value in a person driving something, committed to something that will see it through, that he's passionate about it. And actually, a lot of people can jump on board with that otherwise wouldn't. You know, there's there's two sides to that, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, nothing else to add particularly at the end. I think, I'm, I'm you know, be interesting to hear from anyone who's trying similar things you know to kind of uh, or or who's got the ambition to sort of try similar things and and hear about what what they're doing and and, and you know sort of how things develop with with sort of what what you're talking about Mike I think yeah it, it feels like it um there, there probably there probably are other pockets of of of, of people who again are, are kind of inching towards these concepts and yeah it's kind of it, it would be good to coalesce those together because the, that i think that is the, the the sort of challenge is that everyone is probably operating in their own little bubble to an extent with this and there might be some collaboration across but but not loads um and and that does make it harder although that's a great thing that you can be bespoke and individualized and you've talked about the benefits of of, of that but but sort of joining up on on these um and I don't know. In general, my feeling is that we've there was like this great explosion of collaboration, like in the pandemic at the start of that, that that has really drifted now, and and that actually a lot of the some of those sort of social media networks and things have really broken down that that kind of weren't there before, and and that we've almost retreated back into sort of our silos a, a little bit, and and that that you know we're looking for the next way to to reconnect o- over some of these I- ideas, um, and but being able to share the, these things is going to be really key because otherwise you know for everyone to find that person who's engaging and in the right post to drive it forward and pull everyone on board, if if every institution needs that or or every private institution or whatever needs needs that that to happen, that's that's a lot of really inspiring able people who've got like great ideas to to, to push to push on, isn't it? So. Um, but I think there's loads of opportunity there. So I think it is it is more yeah it's most positive and 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 loads of loads of good things that have been touched on in this conversation. So thanks. Cool. Well, thanks both for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It's it's been a really um, interesting conversation, given me a lot to think about. Um, so I you know maybe this is something we can come back to at some point. Um, maybe even talk about the idea of a, a private physiotherapy school, Shane. Anyway, thanks to you both. I really appreciate it.